Awesome Podcast. Toot toot. Hello, listener. I'm Big Hal Dottie. You can probably tell from the atmosphere, the ambiance around us. You can tell from the sound of the bugs and the sound of the campfire. And Mr. Possum and I are out camping tonight. Yes, Bob. We're at an old Buster's Field, our favorite camping spot. And we've just had ourselves a delicious meal of campfire beans out of a can. All beans, nothing else, just beans. Just beans. And now, since we've finished our meal of campfire beans and, and we've got the fire crackling nice and strong, it's time to go to bed. It's time to curl up in our little uh, sleeping sacks around this fire and go right to sleep. Wait, what? You're going to go to bed? Yeah. Just like that? Yeah, well, we've done what we set out to do. We've set up camp. We've got the fire going. We've eaten our delicious meal of campfire beans, and now it's time to simply close our eyes and go to sleep. That's what camping is, mostly, is sleeping, you know? Oh, Big Al, you've forgotten the best part of going camping. The best part! What's the best part of going camping? Well, second best part, since you shot down my friendship bracelet idea, but the best part we have available to us for camping, which is spooking each other out with old scary campfire tales, Big Al. Oh, you want to tell campfire stories. Oh, yeah, I've got some real spookies in my sack here, and I can't wait to tell them. Okay. Do you even have any scary stories to tell? You seem like the kind of guy that don't have no scary stories. Actually, you know what? There's a few that my uh, my old papa, Pa Dotty, used to tell around the campfire. I could, I could probably reach deep into the back of my brain and pull out some of the chilling tales that my father would tell. Ooh, that sounds good. I love a Papa Dottie story. Well, we'll be right back with our first chilling campfire tale. After this, little Davy. Tonight, Mr. Possum and I are out camping in a wide open field, and we're going to tell each other some scary campfire tales. Mm-hmm. Mr. Possum. Yes, sir. This was your idea. How would you like to go first with the first campfire tale? Oh, I'll go first. No trouble at all. I'd like to begin by borrowing your flashlight and wasting the batteries by pointing it at my chin. Yeah. Which makes me look spookier in the dark. I mean, it kind of. It kind of just highlights how weak your chin is. Good. Nothing scarier than a weak chin, except for this tale that I'm about to tell you, Big Al. Yeah. It's called The Guy with the Hook. Ooh. The Guy with the Hook had just gone out to eat with his wife. They went to the local hibachi grill. He liked to watch the chef prepare his meal in an entertaining fashion. And he especially enjoyed all the tricks they did with eggs. It was pouring down rain outside, and they had to run all the way to the car. 
As soon as they got in the car, Martha started in on him. Told you we should have brought that umbrella. We looked so foolish running out of there. It looked like we was dining and dashing. Did you see how that other couple was looking at us? I'm sorry, baby, said the man with the hook. And this styrofoam box is all wet. Feel it. I hate how it feels. And you just know some of this rainwater is going to drip in there and ruin my hibachi leftovers. The rain intensified, pouring down on the windshield. Couldn't see a thing. Baby, we're going to need to sit here and wait for this to pass. I'm not going to be able to see the road if I try driving in this. Oh, and whose fault is that? yelled Martha. You just had to corner that chef and ask him how he does them egg tricks. You know he's not going to give you his secrets. That's his whole livelihood. It's not a trick, it's a technique, shouted the man with the hook. Suddenly they heard a rustling in the back seat. What was that? asked the man with the hook. I don't know, but it sounded heavy, said Martha, all scared and stuff. They looked in the back seat, which was piled almost to the roof with all sorts of trash. Carryout boxes. The box the big screen TV came in. A tarp. A fold-up card table. And like five or six very large CD wallets, which the guy with the hook was too lazy to even get into to play a new one. He had the same CD in his car for over 10 years. They heard the rustle again, and they saw the trash pile move. There's something or someone in here with us, Martha said. Poke the pile with your hook hand and see what it is. Now this set the man with the hook off. Oh, here we go, he shouted. That's your solution to everything. Poke it with your hook. I told you, I don't use it like that. Oh, I'm so sick of hearing that, shouted Martha. What do you use that hook for anyway? You wouldn't even use it to grab that loose piece of meat off the hibachi grill. I wasn't going to grab that beef with my hook. It's a cooking surface. I don't watch this thing very often, and you know that, yelled the guy with the hook. Well, maybe you should. And maybe you should clean out this car, too. It's your fault there's something hiding in here under all this trash. And it's your fault it's going to kill us, too, because you won't even poke it with your hook. Look, Martha, don't you understand that the whole world sees a guy with a hook and they're just waiting on the time where he does something scary with it? Even if it's in self-defense, I don't want to be in the newspaper for sticking somebody with this hook. It's not a weapon. It's a substitute hand. I use it for hand stuff. I don't poke people with my regular hand, and why would I poke people with the substitute hand? Because it's a darn hook and there's an intruder in the car, shouted Martha. Just then, the back door flew open, and a little troll creature ran out into the driving rain. As he ran off, he popped open an umbrella to keep himself dry. Well, there goes my umbrella! The man with the hook exclaimed. Martha got out and closed the back door. The man with the hook 
use the hook to turn on the radio. Tuned it to 102.2, the waffle. After a couple minutes, the rain died down. And they drove home without saying another word. You see, Big Al, there's nothing worse than being trapped in a car while a married couple argues. It even scared away that little troll. The end. Wow, what a frightening tale. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine being a scary little troll trapped in a car having to listen to that couple argue for that long. Mm-hmm. He's probably lost. He probably didn't even mean to come in there. Yeah. It's raining. He can't see nothing. Man, you know what's really scary there, Mr. Possum, is imagining that uh, someone might uh, happen upon the guff that I receive from my wife uh, when we're headed back from a restaurant or headed to a restaurant or driving really anywhere on Earth. I would hate for someone, even, you know, a miserable, wretched little troll to to get a peek behind the curtain and see that my life isn't as... Uh, as perfect as maybe it seems on the outside, you know? Yes. What a fright. I think our listeners probably assume that I have, you know, kind of an incredible life. And it's very scary to think that they might be proven wrong someday. Mm-hmm. Very scary indeed. And speaking of having the perfect life, when we come back after the break, I've got a story about a man who has it all but doesn't appreciate it. Tonight, me and the big howl are out camping, and we've decided to include you all in our storytelling session here. And I believe it's Big Howl's turn to tell a spooky campfire tale. Yeah, this is a story that my father used to tell around the campfire. He used to spook us kids out. Something fierce. This is called The Tale of the Unhappy CEO. Mm. Barrett Fance had everything. He was the CEO of an app where you could point your phone camera at the moon and snap a picture of it, and it would download a good picture of the moon and make you think that you took that picture. (laughs) He had a European sports car he couldn't pronounce and a hot supermodel girlfriend. He had his own Michelin star chef and a rare albino Komodo dragon that he carried around in a baby Bjorn. He was best friends with the New York Knicks, but Barrett was unhappy, and he didn't know why. Every day he would wake up in his enormous bed and immediately be spoon-fed the best scrambled eggs on earth before strapping on his lizard and heading into the office to select the office margarita of the day. He would constantly think to himself, anybody out there would kill to have my life. And that's because it's a great life. So why aren't I happy? He would think to himself. Why can't I get happy? He started looking into alternative wellness routines, strange diets and sleeping patterns, isolation chambers, energy crystals. For a while, he spent four hours a day meditating on a cold stone slab. At one point, he ate nothing but ice cream. He adopted a child, but got sick of it pretty quick. Nothing's working, he thought. I have to get away. 
So he took a leave of absence from work and went on a wellness retreat to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He stayed in a rustic shack on the shore and drank only domestic beer. One day a witch came by his shack to see if he wanted any potions. I can tell you're miserable, the witch said. How can you tell, said Barrett. Well, the wind has been blowing cold and the sea has been choppy since you got here. Usually means I have some work to do. Oh, I don't know if you can fix me, said Barrett. I've got something deeper than just, you know, problems. Are you unlucky in love, said the witch. I've got potions for that. No, said Barrett. I'm the luckiest man alive in love. Are you financially strapped? I've got potions for that. No, said Barrett. I'm extremely successful, if you can't tell. Are you not interesting? Do you not have a personality? No, said Barrett, confidently. I have a pet lizard that I wear around in a baby Bjorn. Wow, said the witch. So what's your problem? A problem, said Barrett, is I have everything. I just can't appreciate how lucky I am. Ah, said the witch. I have just the thing for that. Really? said Barrett. You can just fix that? After all this time, you just have a fix for that? The witch nodded and pulled out a vial of gray powder and grabbed the Coors Light that Barrett was drinking. She poured the powder into the drink and thumbed the mouth hole while shaking it up. Drink this, she commanded at Barrett. He complied immediately, eager to have all his problems solved. From now on, she said, as he gulped down the last of the beverage, bugs are going to come out of your mouth when you talk. (laughs) What? He shouted, and a couple of flies flew out of his mouth. Why, he yelled as a centipede crawled out to the tip of his tongue. Well, I was thinking, said the witch. If you can't open your mouth, you'll stop whining all the time. I'm a witch. I live in a mud hutch in a bog. I got a beaver next to me with a nicer house than me. And here you are complaining about being a millionaire. Billionaire, corrected Barrett as he burped up a couple cockroaches. You see that, said the witch. All you gotta do is keep your mouth shut. Just shut up, and there won't be any bugs flying out of your mouth. But, but, Barrett tried to say something, but a hornet flew out, frightening him. Barrett grabbed his phone and typed something out on his notepad. The witch began to read it. I have learned my lesson. I had it too good, and my problem is that I complain too much, and I should just appreciate what I have and shut up. Now, please, can you reverse the bug spell? (laughs) That's not how this works, said the witch. I can't reverse the spell, but I can make you happy. What? He gestured with his hands. Yes, said the witch. For the first time in your miserable life, I can make you happy about it all. Oh, please, typed Barrett. Please make me happy. And the witch waved her wand and Barrett became one with his albino Komodo dragon. And when he opened his dragon mouth to speak, some delicious bugs flew out, and he was the happiest Komodo dragon on the planet. 
I love a spooky tale with a happy ending. Some would call it a bittersweet ending, you know, if you don't want to be a lizard instead of a person. But the main character does end up happy. So there is that. I'm kind of envious of this lizard by the end of it. Oh, yeah? I've never said that before, but I mean it. Envious of the lizard. You'd never go hungry. Yeah, I'd never go hungry. It's just like a nonstop Pez machine. Pez dispenser for bugs. Yeah, can you imagine being a Pez dispenser and your favorite food is Pez? Mm. All you got to do is tilt that head back, and there's another solid brick of Pez. That'd be great. That would be great. But that's basically what this lizard is. Well, I'm glad you mm-hmm. took it easy on me because I, I got scared when you mentioned that old witch, and then by the end of it, it turned out okay and not that scary. So thank you. Well, I'm kind of warming you up to my truly scary tale. Oh, I'm in the preheated oven, huh? Yeah. You'll make a party pizza of me yet. Mr. Possum and I are gathered around the campfire tonight and we're telling each other spooky tales. And Mr. Possum just promised us a truly chilling story that I'm excited to hear. Yes, indeed. Big Al, this is so chilling it may very well put out the fire we made. Well, I hope it doesn't I hope it doesn't actually do that. Me too. I get cold really easy. It's called the head swap. The head swap. Yes. Wow. There once was a lady who was scared to death of snakes. Couldn't stand them. Even if she just saw them on television, she would get sick to her stomach and her legs would turn to jelly. It didn't matter how big or small they were. Even if it was a little guy snake, if she saw one, she would shriek and panic immediately. And the weird thing is that she loved animals. Loved them all, even the scary ones. Whenever she saw a spider in her house, she would get a little cup and escort them carefully outside where it could just come right back in because it's cooler in the house. She even liked possums. Heck, when she saw them in the alley, she wouldn't even kick them. So it kind of bothered her that she was so afraid of snakes. It didn't make any sense. It didn't matter if they were poisonous or not. It was just their shape, how they slithered around that unnerved her. But even worse than their bodies, the thing that scared her the most was their creepy faces. Those eyes that just looked predatory and evil, unblinking and ancient. The darting tongue that wasn't even about tasting but sniffing. How alien. So imagine her horror when she woke up one day, looked into the mirror, and saw a snake staring back. Wow. It was still her body, but her head was now a completely smooth snake head, perfectly grafted onto her body. She tried to scream, but it wasn't her voice anymore. What came out instead as she stared into the mirror was a great big scary hiss. 
She was so afraid she nearly passed out. When she got her bearings, she broke the bathroom mirror so that she wouldn't have to see her now hideous reflection in it. She worked from home so she didn't have to worry about bumping into anyone and explaining her new snakehead. How could she explain it anyway? Had she made some bad wish on a monkey's hand? Not that she remembered. As the weeks went on, though, she would accidentally catch a glimpse of her snakehead reflection in a window, or when she would open up Snapchat and the dang camera was facing her way instead of away. It still horrified her. Until one day she just broke down crying, feeling sorry for herself for her awful snakehead look. And she saw herself in the reflection of a pair of sunglasses sitting there on the counter. And what she saw was just a sad creature in a lot of pain. It was a snake, but it was also her. And suddenly the fear she had of snakes was gone. She finally realized, hey, these snakes can't help it if they're scary looking, that's just them. And she felt a great weight fall off her shoulders. What it was was a layer of snake skin that had sloughed off her head. That didn't even bother her. She swept it up, threw it in the trash, and decided to go for a hike. She strode out confidently into the nearby forest. The same one she was usually too scared to walk in, because the trails were not well kept, and she was afraid of running into some kind of serpent. She felt great that day. She walked fearlessly, using her walking stick to make great big steps into the tangled undergrowth of the forest. She stopped to lick the air with her tongue. It smelled like a nice day out, because she's a snake. Then suddenly she heard the leaves move behind her. Sounded like something heavy. A raccoon? A fat squirrel? She looked around and she was not ready for what she saw next. It was a great big snake with her head on it. It coiled up and the head was now upright at about knee level and her old head atop the snake screamed at the top of her old lungs, which were now snake lungs, because it's in a snake body and stuff. And she hissed, and she was very afraid. And not thinking at all, she whacked this creature about the head with her big walking stick. She hadn't meant to do it, she was just so scared, it just happened. And when the creature was struck, her old head just popped right off and landed on the trail. And right at the same moment, her own snake head popped off, and then, like, both bodies fell lifelessly, and the two heads stared at each other on the trail, both locked in a hideous expression of fear. The end, Big Hal. <laughs> Mr. Possum, that's horrifying. I told you. Uh, the... Lack of both explanation and conclusion are extremely terrifying to me. That's the way <laughs> nightmares work. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't even know how to process it. Good, uh, because I don't know the consequences or what it means. Well, what it means is that she was hoisting her own petard over being scared of snakes, and it turns out. She didn't even learn the lesson she thought she learned. She's like, oh, yeah. we're all the same. And then she saw just a different kind of swap, and she was like, ah! And she ended up killing herself on accident. Right. That's scary. Just, yeah. The lesson of the story is to like snakes. I guess. I mean, I guess the lesson is, you know, don't be so afraid of stuff that you're going to crush it out of fear because that might be you. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, that made that made really good sense. And I, uh, I'm excited to say that the story I have coming up also has a very powerful lesson to be learned. But it's also very terrifying. Sounds complicated. turn to tell another spooky campfire tale. That's right, Mr. Possum. This is another one passed down through the Dottie family for years. This is called Don't Forget the Goose's Share. Oh. Wendy Jr. was on a date with her boyfriend of three months, and it was not going well. Her last name's Jr., by the way. Just Wendy Jr. Oh, okay. She'd gotten dressed up in the latest fashions and put fancy makeup on, but her boyfriend Dewey had just worn the same drab button-up shirt and khakis that he always wore to save money. Wendy wanted to order two of the most expensive things on the menu, but Dewey said he couldn't afford it. We've been dating for three months, Wendy said. What did you get me to celebrate? Dewey pulled out a small leather sack and said it belonged to his great-grandmother. I'm tired of you being so cheap, Wendy shouted. You have a good job, and you make plenty of money. How come you never spend it on me? I make a decent amount of money, said Dewey. But I set most of it aside to pay the goose's share. Oh, the goose's share, Wendy scoffed. Everyone's always talking about the goose's share. You really should be more careful with your money, said Dewey. I know you spent the last of your paycheck on that fancy dress. It's my money, shouted Wendy. I'll spend it how I want. The waiter came over with the bill. Dewey paid the modest amount for dinner and tipped the waiter handsomely. How come you gave the waiter so much money, shouted Wendy as they headed out to the car. How come you give everybody else so much more money than you give me? I gave him the correct amount, Dewey replied. I tipped him 20% and then 20% for the goose's share. You're being ridiculous, said Wendy. You throw your money at everyone except for me. What about my share? Well, that's part of why I gave you that leather purse, said Dewey. It has a few starter bills in it, and I was thinking you could carry it with you and keep the goose's share in it. That way you can always pay the goose. A few starter bills. Wendy looked inside the sack to find five stinky, wet gas station dollars tucked inside the rough leather folds. Ugh, she hollered and threw the leather sack in a puddle in the parking lot. You know what, Dewey? I'll just walk home. I'd hate for you to waste the gas driving me there. Don't do this, Wendy, Dewey replied. We have tickets to the upcoming Howl Dottie concert, and I think that will be fun. Ugh. Always is. Why don't you take the goose, shouted Wendy, and she stumbled off into the night on her high heels. Wendy decided to take the long way to her apartment along a street with less nightlife so that she could cool off and think. She took a few deep breaths and began to enjoy the crisp night air 
and the steady vibration of cars on the nearby interstate overpass. I should do this more often, she thought. I suppose I'll have time to, now that Dewey and I are split up. Honk, she heard behind her. It startled her, but she assumed a passing car of teens was just messing with her. Move along, kids, she shouted. Past your bedtime. Honk. The sound was closer now, and it had a weird tone for a car horn. Honk. It was even closer, and it didn't sound like a car at all. In fact, it sounded like a goose. Wendy turned, and there he was, the goose. Honk. He sounded louder and louder as he approached. Wendy couldn't believe how big the goose was. He was right up behind her in no time, with one wing stretched out like an open hand. He was here to collect the goose's share. I don't have any money, shouted Wendy. Leave me alone. She began to walk again, but the goose followed close behind, honking louder and louder until the sound hurt her ears. Leave me alone, she shouted again and began to run as fast as she could, but the goose was just as fast. She got to her apartment building and slammed the front door on the goose. She went up to her apartment, locked the door, and shut off all the lights. There, she thought, I'm alone now. Honk, came a distant sound from outside her door. Honk, louder now, as the goose climbed the stairs. He can't come in here, thought Wendy. Honk, now he was just down the hall. The doorknob rattled. Honk. Then she heard the goose pull out his set of master keys. Honk. Wendy screamed. And that, Mr. Possum, is why you save the goose's share. Oh, wait. The goose had keys. Yeah, the goose has master keys to everyone's uh, apartment. Is he the landlord? Sort of. He's like a landlord in that everybody's got to pay him. He is the lord of the land. Yeah, everybody pays him taxes. Heck yeah. Yeah, everybody pays the goose's share. Ooh, what a chilling tale. time for the last one and mr possum has assured me that this one will shake my boots right off my feet from fear that's right yeah right yeah from fear from fear not from like jo- being physically jostled right i'm not gonna jostle like you. a like a rock tumbler or something right i'm not gonna shake you while i tell this story although it's tempting just because sometimes i feel like i need to get your attention but anyway i save the scariest for the last it's scariest because it's true big hell Wow. 
It's called the sleeping bag. There once was a little boy who went on a camping trip with his buddies. He wasn't very good at camping. He really just liked breakfast food, and he knew his buddies would cook up something in the morning. He didn't have many camping skills at all. When he packed for his trip, all he brought was a bunch of two liters of pomp in his sleeping bag. They were out there in the woods hanging out, and boy, he was swilling pop, but good. After all, it was one of the best parts about camping. After breakfast food, of course. Everyone went to sleep in their bags around the slowly dying fire, and so did he. The little boy woke up a few hours later, and shoo-wee did he have to pee. It was all that pomp. The fire had gone out completely. It was pitch black. Couldn't even see his hand in front of his face. So he wandered far away from the camp to find a place to relieve himself. He couldn't see anything, and he didn't want to risk peeing on one of his buddies on accident. Not again. Feeling refreshed and ready for sleep, he walked back to the camp. He felt around on the ground for his sleeping bag, found a cushy little cylinder shape, and he crawled into it feet first. It was warm and wet in there. At first, he was grossed out, but then he thought, Hey, this isn't so bad. It's warm. That's not bad. And let's face it, I was probably going to pee in there anyway, so who cares about the wet? He wakes up the next morning, smells cooking bacon from the campsite. He sits up and says, Mmm, can I have some? But the campfire is way far away. He can see them through the trees cooking and doing their morning stuff. But if that's the camp... Then how did his sleeping bag get so far away? He looks down in horror. This wasn't a sleeping bag, Big Hell. In the dark, he had crawled into the mouth of a big old worm. He tried to wriggle free, but the worm would not let go. The more he wriggled, the hotter it got, like it was cooking him. He shouted, Hey guys, help! I'm in a worm! They couldn't hear him. The worm had such a grip on him that his voice was weak, even weaker than usual. Guys, bring me some of that bacon. They still couldn't hear him, and so he was stuck there. He saw them walk off in the opposite direction, and they never saw the boy again. But some say he's still out here in these very woods, hollering out with his weak little voice. Can I have some of your bacon? That's it. <laughs> it. And the worm never, like, digests him or anything? What's the... It's a ghost story, you know. I guess he died, and then the worm died. Because if he can't eat, and the worm can't eat, they're probably just dead. So it's like a ghost of a worm boy out there. Okay, so yeah. So the, the worm is dead, and he's dead, and he's the ghost. But the ghost of the worm just sort of... He gets to sort of wear the, the worm as a permanent sort of sleeping sack. Yeah, that's how it of... works when you die in a weird way. You kind of end up like that. You know, like in Beetlejuice when the, the, the lady's in two pieces. Yeah. And the guy with the shark that ate him. I hope I don't end up, when I'm a ghost, I hope I don't end up as somebody else's sack, you know? Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not just like a cloak someone's wearing. <laughs> and I have to live out their sort of, their haunting days, you know? As an adornment, I'd like to at least be the main character of my own afterlife, you know? Not just an accessory. 
that would be that would be ideal. But I'll tell you a little lesson my daddy told me. What's that? Uh, ghosting ain't fair. Mm-hmm. You know? Ghosting ain't fair, so pay the goose's share. The ghost of my father is doomed to walk around the earth with a big tire track across his midsection. It's a mark of shame for a dead possum. You know, it's like, oh, I guess you died in the most boring, uh, expected way that we could all die. I'm surprised it's not considered like a warrior's death. Nope. It's shameful. You ought to be better at Frogger. Some pot.